0: Christ And welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to be united in the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Christ Jesus our Lord. By following Paul's words in Romans chapter 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord as they are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue our study of the Lord's Prayer in Luther's Small Catechism, specifically the first and second petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Is God's name not already holy? Why are we praying to him? Why are we asking for this to happen? Does not God's kingdom come even if we don't pray? We're going to look through this and see not only about what it means for us, but what it confesses of God. Dust off your blue or maroon Christ-filled trusty little book and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, basically from the beginning of the preface until now, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome Pastor Matt Moss of St. John's Lutheran Church in Corcoran, Minnesota. Pastor Moss, welcome to Concord Matters. It's good to be with you today. Pastor, this is our first time together on Concord Matters. Tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at
1: St. John's. Well, uh, today, the day we're recording this at least, is uh, both my uh, ninth anniversary of the ordination into the office of the Holy Ministry and also my 36th anniversary of Holy Baptism. So I had the great fortune to be ordained on my baptism birthday and uh, I always like that so it's a a special day to get with you on uh, KFUO to discuss that name into which I was baptized uh, and how we as Christians keep it holy and how as a a pastor in the office of Christ we uh, confess his holy name and see his kingdom spread where the gospel is believed by the work of the Spirit. Uh, I have a wife who is uh, also my church's contour And uh, we've been blessed by God with two little children who are uh, two and a half and 10 months old, and uh, they just bring so much joy to our lives. Uh, My church is uh, a wonderful place to be. St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church and School is an active and devoutly confessional Lutheran congregation with a very rich liturgical life. If you listeners out there are visiting or moving to the Twin Cities or if COVID has allowed you to work from home anywhere you should choose to be, then I think you should look to the Northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. We are exactly on the border of the suburb, Maple Grove, and the rural area of Corcoran. There are homes being built all around us. There's a place for you. Uh, We celebrate the Lord's Supper at both services every Sunday. Uh, We do use uh, four of the five settings of Lutheran service book throughout the course of the year, We also have Vespers, Evening Prayer, and Compline used throughout Advent and Lent. Our day school chapel is on uh, every Friday morning, and Matins is exclusively used there. Our pastors preach and lead the service. Uh, Our contour, my wife, Dr. Katie Moss, uh, accompanies Divine Services. I'm biased, but I think it's with great skill. Uh, We also have a beautifully restored Sean's Pipe organ. Uh, Our sanctuary was remodeled and expanded in the early 2000s, uh, and they did a a fantastic job. It's got some of the best acoustics that you can find, along with a beautifully traditional aesthetic. We've had uh, professional choirs uh, from around the world, actually, seek out uh, choral tours and to join us as one of the ways that we uh, outreach into our community showing the rich Lutheran heritage, that it's not just an artistic thing for us, but actually uh, part of our very lifeblood as Lutherans. So if you love the Lutheran liturgy and hymnody, I think you will find a home with us at St. John's. Well,
0: I, I tell you what, there—I obviously in this new vocation as district president, I don't have A lot of Sundays off, but I do. I'm sold. I'm ready to come visit with my family. I'm only about an hour from you, so we'll see what God does someday. So anyways, Pastor, it is great to have you with us today. And reminder to our listeners that to uh, pray for not only our pastors, not only our our churches, but our schools, as Pastor uh, Moss has a school there at St. John's Lutheran Church and school. I didn't mention that before and also pray for your musicians you think about a cantor and pastor uh, you know i i think of a cantor or, but but I, I think organist but maybe it's more than that can you describe to us what a cantor is
1: sure i'll uh, make a little distinction even in pronunciation that uh, typically when we think of a cantor spelled with a c that might be seen with a roman catholic church having just a voice leader helping to lead uh-huh. the songs and chants in the lutheran tradition, a contour spelled with a K, Mm. is um, a director of all the parish music from the organ to the instrumentalists to the vocalists and uh, is expected to be trained in theology as well as proficient in music. And uh, it was a very valuable position within the early Lutherans, and uh, I would trace its origin all the way back to King David uh, instituting both a Levitical choir and orchestra there at the uh, tabernacle, leading into the Temple of Solomon. And so, from out from the history of of uh, Christian worship, already into the Old Testament, the worship of God through uh, music and Text, uh, the songs that are sung, is to be uh, God pleasing, pure according to His word, and also uh, expertly done, that it would match the beauty with which our Lord Himself prescribed the the worship at the tabernacle and temple to be uh, done among you know bronze, silver, gold, and the finest of materials, and so our our. Praise and worship of God is accompanied and led that way with those who are professionally trained both in music and in theology to assist the pastors in planning uh, a rich liturgical life that uh, befits the, the gifts of grace that our Lord is giving us in the divine service. Well, I'm
0: I'm learning a lot as well, and um, it's contour. Is that the right way Correct. to say it? All right, look at this. As my listeners know, our listeners know, I'm a Minnesotan and sometimes we struggle with some of those words. So contour. So now we know. So reminder to you, pray for the contours in our congregations as they proclaim and bring proclaim the word of God and the richness of of music and the word in our congregations. But pastor, we're here to study the small catechism, Luther's small catechism. And uh, as we do so, we are studying from Luther's small catechism with explanation, which is the 2017 version from CPH. And we are specifically on page 20, where we are looking at the Lord's prayer. Now, pastor, I'm ready to start digging in. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, so we'll be confessing uh, from page 20, the first petition. Hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. I'm going to stop there for now. We are in the first petition, and right away it says that word, Hallowed. Pastor, what does that mean?
1: Hallowed is an Old English word for uh, holy, Uh, from Sanctus in the Latin, Kadosh in Hebrew, and Hagios in Greek. It's uh, an Old English word, and we keep it in the Lord's Prayer so that generations can continue praying this together. I don't remember how long ago Hallowed fell out of Old English usage into modern English, but no generation from before then till now has deemed it prudent to uh, remove the word and make it f- so that children cannot pray this prayer with their grandparents. What a crime that would be. Hmm. So it
0: says, so if you we were to do modern English, just holy be thy name. I mean, I mean, I'm not I'm not asking you to change it. I'm just saying if we were to translate it, that would be holy be thy name. Correct. correct? All right. So he begins by confessing God that he is holy, but what does it mean that God's holy? Like, we can say that all the time, like, holy cow, but we don't actually think about the word holy much in our culture. So what does it mean to be holy as we look at at the petitions?
1: The word holy would mean pure, uh, without sin. We immediately think of the Old Testament ceremonial laws and God saying, You must be holy, for I, Yahweh your God, am holy. Um, And so when I teach on that in our parish school and in Bible study, I like to give a modern comparison to live electrical wires. Uh, electricity is a very good thing, but not if you approach it haphazardly with the wrong equipment and the wrong intentions. The holiness of God is a good and amazing thing, but if we do not approach it through the grace of God by his word, we will get zapped. Just this last Sunday in Bible study, we were going through 2 Samuel 6, where Uzziah decides not to listen to the word of God, but transports the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. And when they stumble and it's about to fall, he has the uh, profaning idea to reach out his hand and just steady it instead of carrying it by the poles that God had prescribed it be carried by. And he got zapped. So... Holy is not something to mess around with, it is something of great power, and surely when we approach God's holiness through the means of grace, through his word and sacraments, where his Holy Spirit is active, it is a purifying, sanctifying, life-giving thing. If we approach it wrongly, through our own machinations, we are liable to get incinerated.
0: Well, and as we as we look at that, what does that tell us about ourselves? That if God is holy, what does that say about us?
1: Apart from faith, everything that we do is sin. And so we are, if holy is without sin, we are unholy. We are filled with sin. No one does righteous, not even one. Uh, and so we are immediately found in this position of the law accusing, threatening, and condemning us. And so... Uh, to kind of go back to where you would have begun last week with our Father who art in heaven, we can only pray this prayer by God being our Father through faith in Jesus Christ and having claimed us as his own children in holy baptism, there that sanctifying work beginning. So we do hear these words and as a sinner immediately start feeling a little uncertain, but we remember we are praying this prayer as baptized children of God.
0: And so as we look at this, is Luther almost seems to be addressing a question right away. So what does this mean? God's name is certainly kept holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that may be kept among us also. So it's almost like, well, why would we pray that his name be holy? Because it is holy in itself. But what is, what is Luther telling us why we would even pray this uh, as we, that, that question crops up in our mind?
1: As baptized children of the Heavenly Father, we should care that our Father's name be honored and kept holy among us. And so we should pray that it be kept holy. His name will be holy in itself. We are the potential area of problems. We are the ones who may not sanctify it and cause it to be harmful to us. And I guess my question for the listeners would, would be, as you hear these words and remember learning them or confessing them in your uh, catechism classes and confirmation, right, when it says we pray that God's name would be kept holy among us also, do we actually mean that? Uh, that's a challenge of self-examination to us as individuals and Christians within our churches. Uh that God's name is not something to be taken lightly or irreverently, but is to be kept holy and sacred. This is uh, calling us to keep the second and third commandments, that God's name not Mm -hmm. be misused, that whatever his word says would be held sacred and gladly learned. Uh, You could think of, as an example, Someone refusing to learn another person's name correctly, refusing to pronounce it, just how insulting and demeaning that is. Uh, my wife and I like British TV shows, and so we, you know, get the PBS subscription through Amazon Prime. and And there's a new show called Beecham House. Have you seen this, President Finnern? I have not. Oh, I've heard
0: of, I've, someone did reference it recently. Yeah, look yeah, it I up. It's, it's
1: great. It takes place in India and there's a, a young British man over there uh, and his his elderly mother comes over to find him. And of course, he has now he has a wife and servants who are Indian and his elderly British mother just, you know, she can't even listen to, let alone pronounce these people's names. So she just starts, you know, tossing out. You're going to be called Charlie and you'll be called Sarah. Good, good Christian British names. And they do such a wonderful job in the cinematography of it to show how demeaning and insulted these people are that this old British lady uh, obviously refuses to eat their food or live like them or dress like them. But now she's just taking it upon herself to uh, throw out their names and give them new ones. And We as Christians should be that insulted and offended when people would presume to take our God's name and the doctrine of Holy Scripture and cut it apart, throw out the pieces they don't like, and just make Jesus whoever and whatever they want him to be. We should be as offended as if somebody refused to ever pronounce our own names. Now, you and I have pretty easy names to Mm -hmm. pronounce, but you can imagine how that would go. Imagine a new pastor gets to the church, he's learning people's names, and he goes, yeah, I, I can't pronounce that name. I'm just going to call you Bob instead. Uh, right. This would be insulting. This would be awful. And the stakes are much higher when it comes to God and his name.
0: I don't think I've ever... That, that's a great analogy for us to remember because it is offensive that if someone were to come to me and say, well, what's your name, Brady. And they're like, well, you know what? I don't want to call you Brady and call you something else. And it, you know, it depends if like, I have a lifelong friend, and they say, you know what, Brady, I'm just going to call you Tom Brady from now on, just because it's more cool. Like I might be able to be okay with that, but but even then, I think I'll still be offended. And we don't even think of it that way—that how important that is when someone knows your name. And obviously, that brings us to this reality that an all holy and pure God, and we who are not, God remembers our name remembers who you are. You are mine, you know, in Isaiah and baptism, as you mentioned already, how important it is for us to properly say his name as we look at this. So pastor, I want to, you know what? I, I should have read the whole thing, but we're going to read the rest of this because it naturally brings up that question. Okay. I, I, I submit, I, I need to say his name. I need to it. be his name more in my life.
1: How do we do that? So the rest of the first petition. Well, if I could pause you there, uh, oh, please. There, there's one more example of that, that um, I think matters, especially not just that God knows our names, but that in holy baptism, he gives us his name. Uh, that uh, ma- We have to define mm-hmm. how it would be which name of God. There's so many names for God in the Bible. Well, this is the triune name. He put his name on each of us when we were baptized in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. And may we not forsake that. I remember one time as a child, uh, asking my mom just kind of ignorantly, you know, could I ever change my last name and not be Moss anymore? <laughs> and she looked at me and said, your grandfather would be very hurt by that. And I totally, re- I wasn't even thinking of that. I was an ignorant little child just, you know, trying to think, hey, I'd like to be something awesome, like, you know, Matt Power Awesome or something cool. Uh, <laughs> and Moss was just, you know, it was just a short little last name. And so... But I realized, oh, yeah, this name, my family name, carries with it a history of my father and my grandfather and my great grandfather who I never met. And uh, changing that or disregarding that would have terrible consequences. How much more when God puts his name on us in baptism to connect us with the death and resurrection of his son, to then disregard or profane that name
0: well all I can say to that is amen and that is who he gives your name his name to you which is it's so yeah so vital as we look at the next part when it says how is God's name kept holy God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity that we as children of God also lead holy lives according to it Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. So, Pastor, how was God's
1: name kept holy? Luther's answer assumes a position and a worldview that is very foreign to today. And I think this answer in particular will be a struggle for our hearers and listeners to explain to those outside of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, or other Bible-believing churches. So when Luther says God's name is kept holy, when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity, most of the modern mentality and worldview cannot even fathom that answer. We live in an age of relativism. There is no such thing as absolute truth. How can you say that the Word of God is taught in truth and purity? What is Mm -hmm. truth? They deny that this is even possible. Even other Christian churches would treat Christian doctrine like it's just anyone's interpretation, and the idea that we could actually teach it purely and truly is foreign to them. But we here must confess that and stand on that, If you cannot confess the word of God truly and purely, if we cannot uh, be taught the word of God purely and truly, then we have no confidence in the sure and certain promises of God for salvation. Uh, So this is a hill to die on right away that you do not, uh, listeners, give ground to those who would scoff at this idea and say, well, we can't really know the truth anyway. Do you know that for sure? Sure. Right? The claim that there's no absolute truth is an absolute truth claim. So call them on it. Don't give up and say, oh, yeah, well, maybe we're wrong. Okay, yeah, Martin Luther could make errors, did he, in the small catechism? Did he in this petition? Can the word of God be confessed truly and purely? Yes, it can. So that is where we begin with uh, the name of God being a type of shorthand reference to all that Holy Scripture teaches us about this true God and what he has done for us and for our salvation. That is the reason why Luther goes from the name to the doctrine, because we are not a superstitious religion. We are not a religion of magic names and amulets that ward off evil. We are a religion of doctrine. We are a religion that makes truth claims, such as Jesus rose from the dead, or whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And these assertions are made by God, and as they are promises, what we would call gospel, uh, gospel promises, they are kept by the one who himself in human history has proven them, our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is what we are getting at with the name of God and it being kept holy through doctrinal purity.
0: So as we as we look at this, that is very helpful for us to. He makes the connection of keeping God's name holy to the 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 teaching and preaching of God's word, where often I think in our culture not only do we tend to say. Um, me, a we meaning like kind of a collective we not me but my truth is how people speak uh how can you know truth and those kind of dynamics we're here we're just blatantly saying the word of god is truth and in that same token and the same reality that that we are able to very clearly um uh teach that this is about the word of God, not about me occasionally maybe throwing a, a, a God word out there that wasn't quite right. Or that I'll say something when I'm playing sports that is not appropriate at that time, that it, it leads us away from those kind of those times we don't say the right words to the word of God. And I thought that was really, really an interesting dynamic for us to remember because too often we think, yeah, I swore once, you know, no big deal. But here we're, we're talking about something more serious that the word of God is taught Faithfully. So, any thoughts on that, Pastor?
1: The teaching of God's word will not be a static, philosophical word. We are not uh, receiving this teaching for merely esoteric purposes to simply believe it. It will translate to actual uh, lived action. Right. That's the second half of the clause that we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it, according to the word of God, that this word actually makes claims on our life Uh, through the law and gospel rightly applied. It will affect our daily lives to become cruciform to suffer the law's rebukes, repent of our sin, receive the Holy Gospel through faith, and to live in a sanctified way before God. Um, And that separates Christianity from other philosophically based religions. This has a claim on your daily life in all your vocations, not just in the hour you're sitting in church, or if you happen to be reading the Bible or saying a prayer at home. This makes a claim on your entire life as one who is a baptized child of God and living under Christ the Ascended Lord. And as we look at about a minute left in our time,
0: it, I love how he ends, not ends, like right in the middle, he says that keep your name holy, so we, we, we take seriousness the, serious the word of God, and that we lead holy lives. That connection, like you said, the word of God brings holiness and that we can live holy lives. And then he adds a prayer. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. Pastor, with about a minute left, I think it's so important that he adds that prayer right in the middle. Lord, help me to do so. Why is that important to us as, as we live out our vocations?
1: It shows that Luther's catechism is not a doctrinal textbook, but a prayer book and a handbook for Christian life, that he inserts the prayer here and concludes with one to protect us from false doctrine and false living, that we are to be ever in a state of reliance upon God. And that is one of the ways of defining faith, reliance upon God, even for our sanctification, even for our life of good works towards God, that without his help, we will make a mess of all of it, both the doctrine and the life. So we pray for his aid and assistance and seek from him that which is good to do today.
0: Right now, I want to hear more about that, but we have to take our break. We are studying the first and second petitions of, Luther, of the Lord's Prayer in the Lutheran Small Catechism, and we'll be right back. Hello friends, I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back. We are studying the first and second petitions of the Lord's Prayer and Luther Small Catechism with Pastor Matt Moss of St. John's Lutheran Church and School in Corcoran, Minnesota. Now, Pastor, we ended our time that focus on uh that the, the small catechism is a, a book of prayer, not only talking about prayer or just looking at the doctrine, but actually praying. And he's helping us, dear Father, help us to lead these holy lives to hallowed be your name not my own but then he continues on there's no but to that actually he continues on but anyone who teaches or lives contrary to god's word profanes the name of god among us and obviously like you said he prays protect us from this heavenly father this is something very vital in our world today how would what would be your encouragement to our listeners to make sure one that they're not profaning the name of god But then two, um, how do they make sure what they're hearing is the true and pure word of God?
1: First, false doctrine damns and the sinful vices into which we would fall and through further false teaching would become hardened and impenitent in, these condemn us. And so, the first thing in our modern age of, of tolerance and coexistence is to recognize that you cannot say, doctrine doesn't matter, and simultaneously pray the Lord's Prayer. That would be a lie, like holding a grudge prevents us from praying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive, oh wait, I'm not forgiving. Right So you cannot uh, in some ways, this prayer itself demands us to take seriously things that the world around us says are extraneous, unimportant, offensive, maybe even uh, corrupting towards children and other people. that to have a doctrinally uh, high standard could somehow be uh, abusive indoctrination towards children. Right, that the word indoctrination itself has gained a negative connotation in in the last few centuries of education, where we view that as as granting life and salvation to to pass our doctrine on to children. Um, so the first thing for recognizing our our own place in in this is to not take doctrine so uh, lightly and dismissively, and just you know. Throw it out and wish that we weren't so much about that. No, this is a our doctrine is life. Our doctrine is the gospel. Our doctrine is that Jesus Christ uh, has come to save us from our sins and establishes means of grace within His church by which we may be certain of our standing before God. What could be more important than that? And to, so, to answer your second question on on how this. Uh, Is preserved amongst us, it is through the regular reception of those means of grace. And the chief means of grace is preaching, the preaching of the gospel done in its truth and purity. Be present to hear your pastor preach the gospel, attend Bible study to receive further instruction in that word, and go forth in your daily life as much as you are able, reading and studying God's word and turning to him in prayer and with repentance, confessing your sins and seeking his aid towards these ends. That his name be kept holy, that his kingdom come, that his will be done, that our daily bread be received with thanksgiving, that our sins be forgiven, that we be delivered from temptation and the devil.
0: It is very apparent of how often we've used words and assume that they're negative, you know, and that being indoctrination, and you're like, and then you rethink about it as Christians. Well, if we're going to be against that, um, then we're, like you said so well, we're against the Lord's prayer because it is saying that there is truth, that this truth is found in Christ, that we can pray uh, that he'll help us. And, you know, if, if he's not true, then why are we praying him to help us? You know, kind of kind of dynamic goes back to our daily life. And if, if he's not really true, then how could he protect us? I mean, you go down this whole list and how often... Have I uh, prayed the Lord's prayer and and this little part, even, you know, our father who are in heaven, you go through that, you go through it quick. And I, you know, sometimes I'll think about that, but this is where sometimes I'll zone out. Hallowed be thy name. You're like, okay, well, um, I'm not, how many times do we actually stop and think about what's happening? Uh, what does this mean? How can I keep God's name holy? Lord, help me to do so. How can I stay away from false doctrine? Lord, protect me from this. And this is a daily battle that we have in our lives. So pastor, I want to get to the second petition, but I want to make sure anything else you want to highlight in the first petition, because it is so vital to the Christian and and who God is and how we are to live our lives. Last thoughts you have before we move on.
1: This petition, along with the second and third commandments that have been mentioned, are why we as a as a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, both congregations and the Synod itself, will take doctrinal purity in regards to worship so seriously. Far be it from us to include songs or other elements and rites in the divine service that are exactly what is described in the second half of this petition, contrary to God's word. That would be to profane the name of God at the very time when we are invoking it for the grace and blessings that he would seek to provide. So to take this out of the daily life and and root it once more in our weekly gathering as the congregation of the saints around that pure gospel and sacraments, It is just mind-boggling to think that we could somehow, in any way, justify uh, using songs, hymns, rites, and ceremonies from outside of a Lutheran confession of the faith, which would then act and teach contrary to the chief article of our of our Lutheran faith—the justification of the sinner before God—to take. Uh, to borrow from other traditions that have no place of justification, that have uh, no teaching of the gospel, and are supremely law-focused or or, uh, man-centered instead of centered on the work of Christ and the means of grace. This is why I think for your listeners, uh, you'll understand your pastors better when it comes to why they will and won't use some things in worship that other churches, maybe even churches that call themselves Lutheran, will use. And you're thinking, well, what's so offensive or wrong about this? Well, if it would be to the level of profaning God's name among us, we cannot do it. Our constitutions all have this included, but how often do we read those? Uh, We must not be uh, so careless, especially in God's house, and especially at the time set aside for receiving his means of grace, as to flirt with and introduce uh, false doctrine and especially false worship.
0: And this is why we even have Concord Matters here on KFUO, is for us to not only to confess the truth, but to show what is not the truth. And obviously brings us back to the book of Concord, which not only tells us very clearly what is truth, which is found in Christ and, and in his word, but also to tell us what is not true. So I I encourage our listeners, one, to pray this petition that the Lord would help you uh, to keep God's name holy. At the same time, protect you by his Holy Spirit from false doctrine. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your contours, if you have one, your teachers, your family, that you may stay true to God's word. But pastor, I really want to make sure that we give... to be honest, maybe we should have only done one petition on this program, but I we put first and second petitions. So I do want to get to the second petition. Let's do it. Of thy kingdom come. Yeah, this and this one's even more fun. As we look at second petition, we continue on page 20 of Luther Small Catechism with explanation, page 20. The second petition, thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may become to us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us his Holy Spirit, so that by his grace, we believe his Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Pastor, the language is very similar, and you'll see this throughout the petitions, which I, I dearly appreciate because it says it certainly comes by itself. There's almost a question like, well, you know, uh, I think God's kingdom comes even without me praying. So why should I pray? And he says, so that this will come among us also. So I, I encourage you, listeners, to look at that throughout the petitions, how it speaks. Not only do we confess the truth of God, but we pray that that truth may be among us also. But, Pastor, let's go back to basics on this. What is God's kingdom that we want to come? What is his kingdom?
1: The kingdom of God that is coming to us is the righteous reign of Christ over all creation uh, through, his, through different hands as well. Uh, we Lutherans have long taught a two-kingdom theology and sometimes even presented it as three kingdoms, the two kingdoms being the left hand and the right hand, the political power of the world, and the right hand reign of Christ through grace in his church, that kind of leads to the three kingdoms typically taught in the catechism's explanation, the kingdom of grace, the church, the kingdom of power, the worldly authorities, and the kingdom of glory in the age to come. The The chief thing in this petition is seeing that all of these kingdoms are one kingdom because it's all gods, right? Even the left hand, mm-hmm. when we talk about... Uh, left hand or left hand kingdom issues, well, whose left hand is it? It's God's left hand. So to your parishioners and to the pastors who may be listening, don't be afraid to get a little political in the pulpit or in Bible class because it is God's left hand. And after all, politics and governance is more than willing to invade or creep into the other estates of family and church. So who is going to be the one to tell them what actually belongs to caesar and what actually belongs to god it will need to be the man of god preaching his word so even as we like to kind of divide up and help make these helpful distinctions kingdom of grace kingdom of power kingdom of glory or left-hand and right-hand kingdom it is all god's kingdom that god through his son his resurrected and ascended lord christ is reigning over all things even the Iranian rulers, even the Russians and Ukrainians, Christ is in, uh, in the judgment seat, reigning at God's right hand over all creation, the political history, as well as reigning over his church, and he will bring about his glorious eternal kingdom on the last day. And so as you look at the kingdom,
0: clearly, like you said, it comes even without our prayer, but we pray it may come among us also. And so what does that mean? Like, I I want God's kingdom to come. Uh, what is his kingdom and how does it come to me and why is that important? That's ba- the basis of this whole petition.
1: I'll go in reverse order there. the The importance is to see that it is coming from God because many churches nowadays will use that language of kingdom growth as a law-based objective for their people's evangelism efforts, that we have to make sure the kingdom is extended. God can't do it on his own. We have to be the ones extending it. Well, that's a, a mistaken theology of mission built off of a mistaken understanding of conversion. So, that gets us to the first part of your question, that the kingdom coming to us, as explained here by Luther, is something God does when he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, that this is God Uh, doing the work. Not us doing the work, not us making his kingdom come. It is God enacting the reign of Christ over my individual heart and over the kingdom that is his church, and in some cases also using the first use of the law, the curb, uh, to punish evildoers in the kingdom of power. In this case, it's very specifically, as Luther says, with the purpose that by God's grace— not by our reason or strength, to point you back to the third mm-hmm. article of the creed, but by God's grace, we believe his holy word and lead godly lives, right? Doctrine and life enter in again, the word of God and holy living, just like the first petition, that God is giving us his Holy Spirit, and there is a direct and specific end goal of why he gives the Spirit, so that we might believe and be saved and leave and lead sanctified lives here and in the age to come when his kingdom of glory is brought to fruit to fulfillment. So let's let's make this
0: practical for our lives. Well, you're making it very practical pastor. Don't misinterpret my words. You're doing it very very clearly. As we look at this for the believer, Is that we want that kingdom, you know, like as we're talking about the kingdom, like, well, I want I want that Holy Spirit. Um, I want to live a holy life like in the first petition. Help me to do this, O Lord, um, that we may I want to believe this or I do believe this. I want others to believe this. How does this connect with the life of the church um, and the life of the Christian every day, like for you as a father, as a husband? Uh, for you as a pastor and the teachers in your school, your neighbors, all of that. I'm trying to fit this all into the daily um, baptized life because it is something that is, is so tangible and it's so there that sometimes some examples kind of help us out. So, Pastor, bring this back to our the daily life for our listeners and for you and I.
1: We start with the blessed and exclusively Lutheran teaching that Christian faith, prays for more faith. I'll say that again. Mm-hmm. Christian yeah. faith, prays for more faith. That's what this petition is doing. So as a hearer considers their vocations and callings in life and wants to see God's kingdom and the reign of Christ uh, increase and come about, what they are doing is praying for more of what they already have. The, the reign of Christ is not absent in their lives as surely as they are baptized into Christ and are receiving his word and sacrament in the church and through their daily devotional life. But that faith will hunger for more. That faith, which already has the Holy Spirit, will pray for more of the Holy Spirit. And that is a challenge to our Western way of thinking, where everything is either you have it or you don't. But the mm-hmm. biblical presentation is that those who have the Holy Spirit can and should pray for more of the Holy Spirit. So we do. Uh, in our vocations, this means to, uh, as a husband, seeing the reign of Christ increase would be that I believe what God's holy word says about husbands. Think about the table of duties, that a husband not be harsh with his wife, but understanding that he loved her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that we would believe that word and just like we said in the first petition, not simply assent to it as a philosophical dictum, but actually live according to that word. To not be harsh with my wife the next time we have a disagreement, to sacrifice for her. Uh, that's just the one vocation that comes immediately to mind as a husband. As a Christian congregation on a, on a churchly level, beyond the individual vocations, uh, this would be to See Satan's power diminish and the Word of God increased uh, in our midst. That we should, we are here praying for more of the Word of God. We are here praying that our church would have more Bible study attendance and more Bible studies offered throughout the week. That we would have increased opportunity and increased number of people taking advantage of those opportunities to hear and grow in God's word, to see the devil and his lies exposed and thwarted. That'll come in with the uh, next petition that God's will is something he does where he breaks and hinders those plans. We hear in the prayer regarding the kingdom of God are are praying that God's Word and His Holy Spirit, which is always active in and through that Holy Word, will by grace continue to spread and increase, even physically and geographically, that there would be more and more homes in our midst added to the Gospel. We are praying for that, acknowledging that this is something only God can accomplish. He is the one who gives His Holy Spirit when and where He wills. Right? God is the one who does the work of conversion. The church's proclamation of the gospel is the means, so that's what we continue steadfast in, preaching the word in season and out of season, and the Holy Spirit will do that work. And by God's grace, there will be people who believe that word, and that's the only way it can come about is by God's grace, not by our efforts, not by our admonitions, not by more law, but through that preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is active to create faith in the hearers, and he will take care of even the sanctification, leading them to godly lives according to that word. I think I, I love best here how Luther's hymn version of the Lord's Prayer uh, captures it. If you, uh, if your listeners have a Lutheran service book hymnal, it's hymn 766, Our Father Who From Heaven Above. Luther made catechism hymns for each of the six chief parts because you know music and song definitely teach well. So for, for this petition, he says, Your kingdom come, guard your domain and your eternal righteous reign. The Holy Ghost enrich our day with gifts attendant on our way. Break Satan's power, defeat his rage. Preserve your church from age to age. So to kind of wrap up this thought and and answer to your question, which has gotten quite rambling and long, but that's what happens when you give a pastor a microphone. Um, (laughs) Perfect. We are praying both individually that God's dominion over our lives be continued and strengthened, that the Holy Ghost would enrich our day through his word and through the means of grace that Satan would be defeated, his desire to see me individually and our church corrupted with false doctrine and with scandalous living, to be a shame to God amongst the people, that that would be thwarted, and that God's church would be preserved, that the, that the kingdom of grace would continue to flourish in this and every age.
0: As I hear all of this, I actually am looking at the, the hymn you just mentioned I would encourage our listeners to either, if you have a Lutheran service book, clearly uh, look at this great hymn. One is six in the mind when you sing it, and I know that's clearly something in your own family pastor, with your wife being a, an accomplished organist and musician. That it, it, it not only is something like, "Wow, that's cool," we hear a song, but it it sinks into the mind beautifully. So I encourage our listeners, if you have a Lutheran service book, or if you just want to look online, seven hundred sixty six and Luther's. Uh, excuse me, uh, the Lutheran service book. Your kingdom come, guard your domain and your eternal righteous reign. The Holy Ghost enrich our day with gifts attendant on our way. Break Satan's power, defeat his rage, preserve your church from age to age. It. This is something it reminds me, and it's a good reminder for me today and every day, that part of this, this kingdom, this word and sacrament ministry that we have through the church, our desire as God's desire is that all people may be saved. We have to start praying that <laughs> we need to start praying for this kingdom to come, that his name may be holy among us. And I am finding myself that I think I need to pray a whole lot more in my life. What, what's your thoughts on this pastor? Cause this is a quite daunting reality that we are covering in these first two petitions.
1: I've challenged my people from the pulpit numerous times on this exact point. We will not share the gospel with any unbelieving neighbors in our midst if we are not first praying for the lost before we even know who they are. We will not act As Christians in a community if we are not praying for the church as a community. Our prayers would be uh, upstream from our actions. And so as much as this petition is about preserving the church from age to age and enlarging the kingdom and seeing sinners converted, we as instruments through which God does that work we are not going to do that part of it if we are not first praying it, and so that—that that is the—I uh, think the the first and most important challenge. Maybe there is some church or individual Christian out there who is so solid both in their their prayers for these types of of needs and is living it out after that uh, in action. Um, but I think we're probably a lot, uh, maybe the statistics alone reveal exactly where that stands. Uh, I think we're a lot more basic. Our problem is not first and foremost, uh, that we're just not well equipped to share the faith. It's that we're not even praying for the unbelieving. We're not praying for the wayward and erring the adult children who are straying from the faith. And if we are not praying for them, we're certainly never going to seize opportunities to share the gospel with them, we probably won't even recognize it when it's standing in front of of us.
0: So that's another encouragement for you, our listeners, for Pastor Moss and I to pray, (laughs) to bring these people, um, ones that Christ has died for, to the foot of Jesus, to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, um, have mercy upon them. Um, And then we pray, and I love how you said this, Pastor, in faith, We pray for more faith. O Holy Spirit, enter in. And that's another reason why we go to worship, right? I mean, this all connects back because where is the place we pray? Where is the place that the Holy Spirit is working by means, word and sacrament in worship? Pastor, we have about three minutes left in our time. I wanted to ask you two things. First of all, what would your encouragement be with the connection of first and second petition? to why worship is important for our listeners, and also to encourage our listeners
1: in Christ. Gathering together in worship is important because it has both God's command and promise. God has commanded it specifically because it is for our good, and he has promised to be present uh, in the means of grace to forgive your sins, to strengthen your faith, to equip you and prepare you for the godly living and the holy lives that we have prayed for in these two petitions. That is why it is so vital to be gathered uh, with your fellow saints regularly so that it be- can become a habit that produces those that fruit in due season. Where you, where you put the Lord to the test in this regard? you will see the fruit. Uh, that would be my encouragement and challenge to the the listeners, especially if you found yourself during, during and after COVID developing some bad habits rel- relative to frequency of worship attendance. Break the habit. Go, prioritize it, and put God to the test. Att- set yourself to attend for six straight weeks, not missing a Sunday, that everything else can wait, that's the priority, and just see how he will and won't bless you. He's, he has given the command. He has put his promise on it. Go see. That's a good challenge.
0: Pastor, a minute left. How would you encourage our listeners in
1: Christ? As much as every prayer is also commanded and God promises to hear us, uh, as you would have learned in the introduction to the Lord's Prayer, Prayer can be something that is is uh, a great source of guilt in many of our lives, especially us pastors. Uh, we swore ourselves at ordination to pray for our people uh, unceasingly, and every one of us feels convicted and guilty that we cannot and have not done that as we should. Our Lord knows these struggles. He has taught us to pray in this way because we are poor, miserable sinners who often struggle at worship and prayer. And yet, as a tender father, he invites us to come back to ask once more that although we have profaned his name, he would bless us and forgive us and make his name holy among us. And that as we have so often failed to have Christ as ruler and reigning in our lives, that he will yet conquer sin, drive out the devil, and strengthen us in the faith. So do not be discouraged, but rather hear these invitations from our Lord to pray in this way because he knows your weakness and will aid and assist you against the devil, the world, and your sinful flesh.
0: Pastor Matt Moss of St. John's Lutheran Church and School in Corcoran, Minnesota, clearly confessing the truth of the Lord and his kingdom. Pastor Moss, thank you for your faithful teaching with us on Cockcorn Matters. Thank you, Brady. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.